Folks, if you'd like a copy of my best-selling first book, Tales of a First-Round Nothing, head on over to ecwpress.com. If you'd like a copy of my second book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to www.flankerpress.com. If you'd like either copy personalized, just add a note. Thanks for listening to my podcast, and happy reading. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan, Jr., that is. Here we are, episode 157A, which, what does that mean? Really nothing. We don't have any idea how many episodes there's actually been. I think we're upwards of... 215 or 20 right now. My numerical system doesn't make much sense. But regardless, you're with me. How did the Kevin Logo roast go, Terry? Actually, I had a few questions, so I'll answer it. It went awesome. Thanks for uh, coming out. It was a full house in Edmonton, Alberta. Those who have been following along with my pack podcast probably know what I'm talking about. Those who don't, put it quite simply, I flew out. Uh, last weekend, uh, this past weekend, to Edmonton, Alberta, to roast Kevin Lowe. Now, we did it for Kids Sport. It's a fantastic organization that raises money for kids that are in need. Um, you know, and it's sports, but it transfers over into these kids' lives in every possible way. Imaginable when it comes to positivity and teamwork, success, importance, meaning, uh, fun, athleticism, uh, physical, fitness, all the above. That's why I was uh, quick to say yes. To be honest, I was tired the weekend before. We'd had an awesome time in Moncton at Hockey Heroes Weekend. But... uh, I mean, first of all, it was awesome to to actually get to roast Kevin Lowe. Uh, he really is. If I was to say a hero of mine, that would be an exaggeration. And I'd be bullshitting, and I don't want to bullshit anybody. But, you know, just like his place on the Oilers, kind of, is where he fits in. Like, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I roast him about you know, being the last guy and, you know, being lucky to latch onto a team. But he was a big part of that. He really was, especially when we watched his, like, uh, you know, the the highlights and the, the build-up, the tape that was being played, the tape, the highlights that were being played uh, kind of pre-event. It was, uh, you know, remind you, you look at his stats, 
there, I mean, he just played a long time. He's stay at home, good hitter, like, you know, just solid, like really solid. And they never would have won all those cups without him, that's for sure. But his stats don't scream out Hall of Fame, right? I guess for longevity they do. But, uh, you know, a lot of the things that he was good at weren't really even kept as statistics back then. I think now, with all the analytics, you'd have a better idea of what Kevin Lowe brought to the table. I mean, we know, I'm just saying, the average fan. You look at Hockey DB, oh, five goals, 30 assists. Well, he played with the Oilers in the 80s. He should get that. Yeah, but he was there to uh, to balance the guys like, you know, the high. Well, Paul Coffey played on his team. Most goals ever in a season for a D-man, 49. He nearly had 50. And uh, as a D-man, and, I mean, Paul Coffey was on his team. You know, um, you think of guys that he played with, say, Steve Smith. Steve's the guy who banked the puck into his own net, lost the uh, Oilers one of the cups in the middle of the run. <clears throat> but, you know, he was that way. You know, they, the Oilers got guys, except Lowe was better. Lowe was the best of his generation at it. But uh, Oilers always had guys, you know, to, to check. I mean, for every, even up front, for every Yari Curry and, and Wayne Gretzky, it seemed they had an Essa Tikkanen kind of a guy. And, you know, f- there was always guys that filled in the third and fourth lines. I, I just, I think Essa Tikkanen was, is, was the most underrated as a forward. Um, look it up. I believe Tikkan went over with Lowe and won one in, in the Rangers as well, as as did Messier. I think when the Rangers won in 94, they had a bunch of ex-Oilers. But, uh, you know, Tikkan was that way. I mean, he was a great player. I think in any other team, at any other time, he would be probably noted as one of the better two-way kind of get-under-your-skin, get-the-job-done players. Uh, being as a Tekken, and that is, uh, but you know, much like Kevin Lowe on D, it was just they were surrounded by so many Hall of Famers. It was easy to get lost, uh, you know, amongst the greatness. But anyway, I was aware of all that. Uh, people my age, that you know, you grew up in the eighties, early nineties. I mean, you know, with less options, there was wasn't as many. I mean, there were video games, but we'd play for an hour, and you know, it wasn't this online thing. The graphics weren't, you know, you didn't spend your day around. There was no EB games or anything like that. There was video games. Yeah, we played them. We used to look forward to hockey coming out. It was and it was more at night. You know what video games were for us? We played them, but uh, you know, a lot of a lot of buddies growing up, say Jeremy Charles, Mike Smith, Gary Clark, Sean Gibbons, Stevie Halfyard. I'd end up at one of the boys' houses at night, and we'd play them like at a sleepover, which was five nights a week. You know, we were staying out one of the boys' places, wherever we ended up, wherever the last ball hockey shot was taken, one of the cul-de-sacs there. We'd play baseball or soccer, whatever it was, whenever the last kick, the last at-bat. Whenever it was all over and it was getting too dark to play anymore, we'd go home to one of the boys' houses, sometimes mine. Everybody had a Nintendo or a Sega Genesis or both. And we'd have like maybe a you know a tournament, or if it was just two of us, four out of seven, right? But uh, and then so they existed, but they were completely secondary for us. Um, I would never pl- be playing video games over an NHL game, by the way. And uh, there was no like on-demand way to watch the highlights. There was no YouTube or anything. So a lot of us really, you know, if there was a team on, we'd watch. Now the Oilers had Wayne Gretzky. So that was reason enough just to watch the Oilers. And 
you know, there was other reasons. People forget when that big trade happened with Wayne Gretzky, that huge trade, you know, shook the hockey world and definitely redefined the hockey geography of the United States for sure. Uh, brought hockey to the Sun Belt to places that had never been played before. Now, here we are talking about it. Vegas or Florida is going to win the Stanley Cup. I say Vegas tonight. But uh, it's a direct result of Wayne Gretzky's influence on the game, right? But what people forget, he went down and it was a huge success. L.A. made the Cup Final. They didn't win, but he brought him from nothing to the Cup Final like within a couple of years. They were good. They never got to the Cup, but Edmonton did win it. People forget that, and if you're younger than me, you probably didn't even know it. But I believe Edmonton had five cups. Gretzky was there for four of them, not all five. They traded them, and then they won it. Either that year or the next, they immediately, Edmonton Oilers, so say what you want about Pocklington because he was fucking raked over the coals. And I wouldn't do it again if I was him. Uh, I just, I don't know anything about the economy of the situation, really. I mean, I know he got a lot of money for Gretzky and, and some prospects. But, you know, Gretzky was the, I uh, remember the Gretzky's wedding. Remember that in downtown Edmonton? It was huge news. It was in, like, Time Magazine. Like, Gretzky really was bringing the game to places that, like, all, he hosted Saturday Night Live. That had never been fucking touched on. Who was going to do that before him? Fucking Pinky McGee or Phil Esposito, you know, the, or, or, you know, Larry Robinson, Bobby Hall, I mean, these are all great players. They never would have been hosting Saturday Night Live. Hockey wasn't big enough. Hockey wasn't mainstream enough, part of the zeitgeist. But uh, anyway, all of that happened, and they still won. And they wouldn't have done it with guys like Kevin Lowe, right? With, without guys like Kevin Lowe. So, uh, And then, like I said, he won it with the Rangers. So Kevin Lowe has six Stanley Cups to Wayne Gretzky's four. So right away, most of the things I ripped them about probably aren't really even true, but it was just low-hanging fruit. fruit. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, everybody from uh, the presenters were myself, Kathleen McGee, Kent Tilly, a couple of really funny comedians, uh, Jim Jeffries, local sports personality that went through the, uh, came up with Lowe and Gretzky and all the boys on the bus, all that shit, right? Yeah, and Craig McTavish was there, uh, George LaRock, and uh, Jason Greger. And we all took turns, 10 or 15-minute runs at Kevin Lowe and each other, and it was a blast. I've actually got a little bit of it. They wouldn't let us film it, which makes sense. And I don't even know if I wanted it filmed, right, because things get taken out of context. All of a sudden, you're on stage, and if they were to isolate any one sentence that I said or a paragraph, I would probably have to step down from all my platforms. I'm serious. Uh, those don't know what a roast is. And if I'm if I'm talking to you, I'm sure you know what a roast is, and you've never actually absorbed a roast. Go to Comedy Central and watch some of those. So that was my background with it. Okay, so think about it. If anybody knows about those comedy roasts, that's where my boundaries lay. Which means there wasn't many. Right? There wasn't many boundaries for me. I got there, and when I explained some of my jokes to George Larock, he nearly hit the ground. He said, I'm not even going to curse. Mine is more of an homage. Then I had fucking cold feet. I was like, should I take this speech and fucking burn it? <laughs> and I had to go first. Uh, yeah, I had to go first. In, uh, 
Yeah, so I had to like test the waters, you know. And technically, for those who say I did, I did do it last year for Joaquin Gage, but I did it on video from my backyard. My buddy Sandman asked me to do a roast, so I was sitting there having a fire, and you know, I jotted some notes down and kind of just put up my phone and winged it in maybe a five to eight minute kind of Rick Mercer type rant. And we watched the Rick Mercer show back in the day. Uh, I guess the 2010s. It was the most prominent. And, you know, Rick would r walk around and have some rant on whatever was current in politics or whatever it might be, national news. Uh, I kind of did that for Joaquin Engage, so I didn't really see how it went. And I really was kind of light when it comes to roasting. So anyway, I had no idea what to expect. And as expected, or sorry, I had no idea about what to expect, but as expected, which that's that's doesn't make sense. I didn't know what people were going to dig and what would be too far. I expected that some of my jokes would hit too hard, and I believe I was right, but for the most part, it went over well. I could hear some people gasping and sighing, but I had 80 or 90% of the room laughing pretty good. And uh, most people, I'm, I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence. Honestly, I don't remember a bad presenter. Everybody was different. Craig McTavish was like, you know, he didn't curse much. It was stories about him and his buddy, and some of them were pretty low. Jim, Jim Jerome, he knew these guys for a long time. So, you know, that was kind of the angle. George LaRock did it from, like, he played for Kevin Lowe. It was his first roommate. He played with Kevin Lowe, right, when he was, like, 18 and Lowe was 30-odd. Uh, so, yeah, there was... You know, Kathleen McGee and Ken Tilly were professional uh, comedians that were brought in for the job. I was kind of somewhere in the middle. I played hockey, didn't know Kevin that much. I'd met him. I couldn't believe he remembered it, by the way. I met him in the 90s, and, and he actually remembered it, and he had no reason to. Uh, but that was wild, uh, and I nearly, my heart, <laughs> what's the word? I, I, I guess I just felt good. I introduced myself at the beginning, Kevin. You'll have no idea who I am. Yes, I do, Terry. I remember we met a couple times. Anyway, that was enough for me. And we uh, spoke about that a little bit before the show, which was awesome. Anyway, we did the show. We went out afterwards, and uh, I saw my buddy Brant Myers and Mike Hurley were there. That was awesome. Uh, Stephanie Swift, a friend of mine, uh, she joined us at the head table. Um, there was lots of my friends from the Western League. Uh, over the years, they, they, uh, you know, it was, and I don't mean just teammates, uh, you know, a, a part of my, a part of my growing up, I suppose would be Edmonton. I used to go there. Most of my team teammates in the Western league were from there. So my WHL days, I would uh, often go over there. When I, when I played in the NHL as well, I would go for some time in the summer and get a spot there on white Avenue or stay in a spot on white Avenue with one of my buddies you know Edmonton, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, practice at U of A because they got a good hockey program there and the ice was always available. So, uh, you know, I am i wouldn't say it's my second home or anything, but over the years I've spent a good, you know, four or 500 days in Edmonton for sure. And I have some relatives there. So anyway, you know what I'll do? I'll go and uh, we couldn't. Record it, like I said, but I, I'll i go give you a sample of some of my jokes. One second, I'll, I'll press pause here. Okay, um, so I guess I'll read you some of this, okay? Um, 
see what you guys think. Now, picture a room full of people, and I don't really know what the boundaries are. I mean, I think they said anything goes, but, you know, I often say that. Um, I'll take you through Kent Tilly, George LaRocque, Jim Jerome, and Kathleen McGee. Okay, just a, a quick... I don't want to offend anybody, so if you're easily offended, don't listen. But, I mean, this was for charity. It raised money. It was 250 bucks a plate, and then they had a silent auction where everything from Kevin Lowe's jerseys to Wayne Gretzky's Titan in the 80s, like there was all kinds of Stanley Cup memorabilia. There was all kinds of things. So I, I'm guessing we raised a tens of thousands at least. So uh, so this is like mid-speech. Okay, okay, listen, obviously I'm kidding. It really is an honor to be here with such celebrities as Craig McTavish, Kevin Lowe, and surprisingly tonight, Stevie Wonder. Although Stevie don't look so good. Oh, my bad. That's George LaRock. Kent Tilly. I'll get to you soon. I'm just going to give people a few minutes to Google search who the fuck you are because I had no luck. Uh, seriously, I had more luck finding a goal Kevin Lowe scored without any other Hall of Famers on the ice than I did finding who the fuck you are, Kent. All I know for sure is that you have very, you're not very funny and have bad style. And speaking of style, like I said, folks, George LaRock is here. To be that tough and black and still have bad style ain't easy. Is It ain't an easy thing to pull off. But you do it flawlessly, unlike that Bambi on ice, choppy fucking stride you lumbered around with. Seriously, where'd you get your outfit, George? The set of murder she wrote? George is an inspiration to vegans everywhere, proving you can eat like a rabbit and still be fat as fuck. Yes, George took part in Canada Reads, so we know he's literate. Jesus, buddy, read a fucking food label, maybe. You look like George Clinton after he stepped on a beehive. Okay, back to Kent Tilly. Yeah, I met Kent earlier this evening when he tried to sell me blow in the handicap washroom. By the way, sorry, pal. I needed the extra space and didn't realize you actually had special needs. Although that explains all the pity laughs at your mediocre jokes. Ever think of becoming an equipment manager? Hell, it worked for Joey. Come to think of it, Joey Moss was talented, useful, and funny. Hey, I'm only kidding, buddy. I'm sure every successful comedian goes through a rough patch that lasts through four or five Olympics. Jim Jerome's here, everybody. Jim has a is an old guy, older guy with a big head. I had no idea where to fucking go with this. Jim Jerome's here, everybody. Come on, JJ, do something about that look, will you? Every time I glance in your direction, I feel like I'm about to be pitched a reverse mortgage by Grandpa Mr. Potato Head. Seriously, if I was you, I'd just embrace that look. You carry around a fake mustache and some accessories. Prop yourself up somewhere at West Ed, West Edmonton Mall, and let kids from all over come play with a real-life potato head. Like a twisted version of Pinocchio, except when this toy came to life, he became a boring middle-aged man who clings on to the great one, more so than Kevin Lowe himself. Yes, Jim's version of Potato Head would have an extra long nose, because remember, kids, it has to fit all the way up Wayne Gretzky's ass. In all seriousness, I'm glad George LaRock is here and brings some diversity to the head table. And speaking of diverse, Kathleen McGee is here, folks, and has some Asian in her. Well, I mean, she did last night at a local pay-by-the-hour motel, so I suppose it's oozing out of her at this point. Oh, come on, Kathleen, I've listened to your act. You talk about swinging, the secret to giving head, stripping, one-night stands, getting fucked every which way. There's even a bit about Tinder bachelorette, bachelorette and getting gang-banged by seven or eight guys. So being the only girl up here, with, up here with all these men is a typical Friday night, I guess. I don't want to say your pussy's big, but I'm sure it could take Jim Jerome's pontoon-like potato head 
with all accessories included, and still have room for the six cocks you suck today at lunch. Uh, that's well. Greg Metavish is here. This is a big deal. Listen, McTee. It truly is an honor to be here with my uncle's mechanic's fifth favorite oiler. Of course, he only liked you because he won a lot of money in 1989 when he made a bet that there'd still be players stupid enough to play without a helmet into the 90s. And on and on and on. I guess I should give you a Kevin Lowe, uh, right? It is Kevin Lowe. Seriously, folks, looking around this room and all the accomplished faces of so many aging hockey legends and ambassadors, I'm reminded of all the great work being done by the heart specialists and hair club for men. Guys, I'm sorry if these jokes cut too deep. Coming up with ideas for a roast is hard, real hard. Unlike Kevin's wet noodle of a dinosaur dick that only gets hard these days when he rubs the Hall of Fame ring Wayne Gretzky delivered to them, to him. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop laughing at my own jokes, but you, I, I'm, I'm more, uh, what's the word? Uh, amused by my memory of the situation because I'm sure I offended people and going first with something like that was uh i wasn't going to say nerve-wracking I, I i think i don't want to admit it but i i think it was a bit nerve-wracking i go to those things and for those that do any public speaking or don't because it is the number one fear uh in north america like G jerry seinfeld says death is number two so if you're at a funeral you'd rather be doing the eulogy than or you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Uh, so, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, I'm sure it looked like I was up there not nervous, but my heart before I do any public speaking whatsoever, and I'll be confident, it's not like I'm sitting there chewing my nails. I know the process. I know what the situation calls for. I know my role. It's just right before, no matter what, I can feel my heart. It feels like it's going to pound right out of my chest. And that happens every time. So a lot of you guys that might think that you're alone in that, you're not. I do it because I do it. I started a decade ago or so maybe. You know, I'd always done a little. I mean, you got to speak, you know, accept awards and maybe open up a concert or I remember I opened up salmon fest, you know, I declare this open, you know, I, I, I spoke before, but not in the sense of having anything personally meaningful to say or roasting or comedy or any of that. And the truth is I'm still nervous when I do it. And, uh, I only started because it was a means to an end and I needed money and I need to put money on the table and people were asking me to do this. And I'm like, what, whatever it was, you know, always, X amount of dollars is being offered. Sometimes, you know, a significant thousands. And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say fucking no. Because I've got a little fear of getting up onto the stage. Fuck that. Right? I mean, I hate heights. But the first few speeches were like that like i could not it was like i was going up to jump out of a fucking plane i said i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this i could hear my every word i could feel myself sweating when i got a hold of mike is the worst because i'm not like, can people see that this mic is shaking right but you just go do it 
That's it. You just fucking go do it. This is advice more than it is explanation. I know a lot of you are in that position. You might have to do it for work. You might have to present something at school. You might have to get up and, and do an actual eulogy. You might have to speak at a wedding. There's all kinds of times you might have to speak. And it is, I think it's just being human to be nervous to do that. But you know what I often do? Because why would you be nervous? Because it's, it's because you feel like you're being judged, right? Really? I mean, that's what it is. One way or another, it's that you're being judged by the people. Now, if it was two people, if it was four people, if it was six people, you probably wouldn't. But all of a sudden, this room, and you feel like the whole room collectively has a brain, but it doesn't. The people in fucking table one aren't the same people as the people in table 100. They're probably not even going to converse for the rest of the night. They didn't come there with a communal fucking walkie-talkie system. They're not all sitting there laughing and judging you. It's just people. It's no difference than if it was five people. And speaking of those people, I don't know how many were at this event. Let's say a thousand. I really don't know. So let's say a thousand people. Let's say 500 people. Of the 500 people, because, I mean, you're not going to relate to like thousands of people, right? But we all get opportunities to get up and speak in front of tens or hundreds of people. But look out. All of all those people, man, most of them have something either to hide. Some of them are criminals. Some of them are fucked up. Most of them would never be able to get up on stage and do what you're doing. Some haven't, haven't changed their underwear in a week. Some of them can't get a hurt on. Um, some of them fucking are, are in the closet and, and, and want to come out and would only beg to have a platform like you're up there. They're just, they're just nervous, you know, it, it come out being gay, but there's all kinds of other things, maybe secrets that some people have, and they'd love to get up there with an opportunity like you to, to, to just get a monkey off their back somehow or another, whether they're, you know, guilty of something or, They've got a secret or they want to get married or whatever it might be. Honestly, some people are just nervous to do it. Some people, I've talked to people that don't get married. They don't have a ceremony because they don't want to have to get up and speak. I'm fucking serious. I'm not saying they don't get married. They'll just go like justice of the peace or have a small one that they don't have to do that. They really don't have a big wedding because they're like, man, I'd, at some point I'm going to have to, you know, perform in front of people and they don't want to do it. So. When I'm up there, I just think of all that and I look out and I'm like, all these people would be nervous if they were doing what I'm doing. And what's the worst that could happen? I could just get sick right now and throw up all over the podium. Even so, I'll be out of here in fucking 10 minutes in an hour and it'll all be a memory. And once it becomes a memory, you even if it was embarrassing, you just br br embrace it and don't back away from it. And I think people respect you more, right? That's my experience. Uh, I, I could be, could be, you know, a little bit off some of the people I'm talking to, but generally, generally, you know, you're, that's my point of view on, on the subject. You know, uh, it, it's, it's never, I, I'm, I know I'm never going to get to a point that I get up there and I'm not a little bit nervous, but that was the same at hockey and I'm good at hockey. Right. Um, so there was never a game that I wasn't nervous before the game. And it's not always like depressing 
nerves or anxiety. Sometimes it's just nervous energy. And often people mix the two up, but you can transform some of that. I don't want to do it, man. I'm so you, you can transfer that into nervous energy. Go, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's just go up and do it and see what happens. Right? And when you do it, and when you take the fuck it attitude and get up there, I think people can kind of pick up on it. They might not even know, but much like a pet can pick up. You get a dog, your dog can fucking tell when its owner is pissed off or sad or whatever it might be or not feeling right. Well, an audience can pick up on a confident fuck it kind of speaker. Not saying that that fuck it kind of speaker isn't nervous or isn't prepared. It's just you got to go up there with a kind of a bit of a swagger in my opinion. Anyway, it was a lot of fun for those that didn't like those jokes. Fuck you. I'm not going to apologize. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. Okay, I had something. <clears throat> God, I lose some of these. Uh, one of the people there asked me a question, and I put it into my phone. I had them send me a tweet, and it was Gary Corson. And Gary... I believe is in Scarborough, okay? He's from Scarborough originally. And says, question for your podcast, favorite sport outside hockey to watch? Did you play other sports growing up? Well, funny you ask, Gary. I did. I played uh, high-level baseball, soccer, and hockey. And if you want to throw ball hockey into that, you can. Um, being in that ball hockey, you know, people know now I got a few world championships. I'm, I'm in the Hall of Fame and that I never saw coming. I... Like, you know, when I was a kid or when I quit hockey, um, I, ice hockey, again, because of the injury and I got into ball hockey, it was uh, such a great transformational, positive, almost spiritual experience that I thank George Gortzos and Tony Inito. I, I, I thank that not a day goes by that I don't think of those gents in one way or another and what they did for me. Uh, so... I don't want to disrespect ball hockey now and say I didn't play growing up. I did. It was just more in the form of street hockey. And in the summer, we played organized, but only in the summer. Now, like, we play all year round, right? Like, I always run in the winter, and I get my legs in and, you know, go into the Worlds again in August, the Masters with some Newfoundlanders here. Mike Dyke, Ryan Delaney, Jeremy Bishop, Chris Sparks, uh, Justin Pender will be going up and going to play for Canada at, uh, at the Worlds. So we still train all the time. It's just when I was a kid... It was only like a, a summer thing. 
So I played other sports. Yeah, baseball I loved and soccer I loved. Now soccer, it's funny. I'm going to play some master's soccer. I'm on my way out today to get cleats. I haven't played in 20 years. And uh, But we you know, we were in Mount Pearl. I'm not sure. Okay, Gary, you're from Scarborough, I guess. Um, I'm not sure how much you follow, but you know, in, in Canada, there's a minor soccer program. It's pretty good. At least it is, it is here in Newfoundland. And you know, you win and, and, and you... You get to, you know, go to the provincials, and then if you win, it's Atlantics and Nationals. That's the way it was for us. Well, we won the provincials and Atlantics in, in soccer more than once. Went to the Nationals and uh, generally got crushed. When you're Newfoundland, you don't have that population. It's tough to play Toronto and, like, Vancouver, right? Mount Pearl! <laughs> uh, you guys got Mount Pearl. I don't know. We, we got a few gunners. We're going to go for it. Uh, you know, for, for Newfoundland, we have a great system, but when you're playing, you know, Team Vancouver, shit like that, Toronto FC's under-16 version, it tends to be uh, lopsided. But I loved it, and uh, actually we beat, uh, yeah, one of those years we finished like fifth, which was great for Newfoundland. Uh, baseball, same sort of thing. It's just uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the best teams from the island, now Penny Lane, like, she's going to the Nationals in three weeks in Montreal, but it's Team Newfoundland, which is much better. Uh, we didn't have that. It was if you win your club, you get to go. So, like, we would, I remember, and, and, and the other places didn't. They had, like, a a team. Oh, God. Um, erase what I just said. So when I grew up, yeah, it was you win with your team, and you take that team and you go on to play in, that, in the national championship. Now they pick an all-star team from Newfoundland. And I think they do the same in PEI and maybe Nova Scotia. The smaller population provinces, I think that is a perfect way to do it. Uh, because realistically, Mount Pearl wasn't going to beat Toronto. But Team Newfoundland, uh, maybe. Maybe, you know, if you add the best players around to our team, we had a fighter's chance to, you know, come close. Maybe if our goalie stood on his head... And, uh, you know, we played as good as we prob probably could. Then we'd have a chance to hang in there with any province, really, you know. So Penny Lane now, that's a different format. She's going to go with Team Newfoundland. There's a few of them on there from, from Mount Pearl, but it's from all over. There's a girl from Labrador. There's girls from Cornerbrook, Marystown, all over. So anyway, did I play sports? Yes, I did. Uh, I still am heavily involved. I watch Penny Lane sports all the time. I volunteer for local tournaments, even like slow pitch, uh, softball, fast pitch softball, which I didn't play, but Newfoundland are usually very, very good at. Uh, rugby, love watching rugby, didn't play it. It was a little bit too physical. Um, Mount Pearl is one of the biggest legends ever in Canadian rugby and international rugby, Rod Snow. Uh, but yeah, yeah, growing up, I was every single day, in the summer, I was playing hockey, soccer, or baseball. And that went for all of us. And we all we won the provincials in all of it. Hockey, baseball, and soccer, we won the top-level AAA provincials as Mount Pearl in all of it. Uh, and I bet you eight players played on all of, uh, each team. You know what I mean? It's not like I went over to play for the baseball team and I didn't know anybody from hockey or soccer. A good half dozen to ten given whichever year it was, would be playing on all three teams. So we had a, a group that 
really, really enjoyed uh, growing up and, and, and all that goes with it. The sports, I guess. I mean, a lot of people enjoy growing up, but we, uh, we played a lot of sports, man. It was almost my, my growing, my, my childhood experience was defined on, uh, Mount Pearl winning and losing in, in, in you know, and, and it was defined more by my teammates, of course, and the competition itself. But when I think of memories, it goes immediately to provincial championships, to sports, to, to suspensions, penalty shots, uh, big plays with like seconds left. Like it all goes there. When you ask me about growing up, I don't think like the day that me and Dougie went to the swimming hole, you know, none of that. It's all sports and uh, looking back. I'm glad I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, listen, you listen to this, you uh, you realize that I'm not huge into golf, okay? But I am into, I mean, I watch. I don't play much, so I guess, therefore, I'm not very interested in it because because of everything you're saying, I'm literally on my way to get soccer cleats now. I have a soccer game tonight, a ball hockey game tomorrow night, and I skate four times a week, so... I just don't have time for golf, but uh, a lot of my buddies play it, and I have a lot of respect for it. I do follow the best players in the world, and if there's one of the majors happening, I will follow along to see what happens. But uh, So I, I can't close down a podcast without mentioning that Nick Taylor just won. He's the first Canadian to win, I believe, how many years? How many years? Since 1954, the first Canadian to win the Canadian Open. So that's a major thing, right? I mean, it's a, it's part of the PGA Tour. It's a huge event. Those that know, know. And if you, if, if, you, if I'm talking and you have no idea what I'm talking about, and if you're not from Canada, you could be from fucking Finland somewhere now with no interest in what I'm saying. But this almost transcends golf and Nick Taylor. It's the situation. Like, the Canadian Open, first of all, if, if nothing else, hasn't had a Canadian winner since 1954. 54. That's 10 years before the Beatles came. That's a few years before Elvis. People knew who Elvis was. It's within a decade earlier, it was the fucking Second World War. Right? Right? TVs weren't fucking color yet. Not even everybody had a TV in 1954. A lot of people were still relying on the radio, transistor radio. There was six teams in the NHL. Right? Newfoundland, where I'm sitting from right now, became a fucking province, part of Canada, in 1949. It it was a half a decade into that. That's the last time a Canadian won. We were barely Canada as we know it now. So not only did he win, we've had winners. We've had a couple that come to mind on the men's and women's side, Brooke Henderson, um, Mike Ware, two fucking unbelievable golfers from Canada. But in my estimation, sorry, in my knowledge, none of their wins packed as much punch. And I'll tell you why. Because Nick Taylor, on the final hole, he hit a 72 putt to win. So sorry, 72 fucking foot. 72 putt. A 72 foot 
putt to win. Now think about how this is coming in clutch. Think about this moment. Again, Brooke Henderson has had wins. I don't think one that came down to a moment like that. I know Mike Ware's biggest win. I know Mike, a Canadian winning a major is fucking huge, and he won the Masters. But I know it was like because whoever it was, VJ Singh or one of them, fucked up. I think I think putt. I think Ware like three putted to win it. Now it's great, but it's not. It's not. It's a great accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment. One of the biggest accomplishments ever. Probably a bigger accomplishment than winning the Canadian Open. But moment. Moment. I don't know. First of all, Mike Ware wasn't in Canada. It's the Canadian Open. It's the Canadian crowd. It's the final hole. And he came back. I think the day before he was like tied for like a hundredth or something. So it's not like anybody saw it coming. He starts shooting the lights out. Final round comes, he's shooting the lights out. People are going, what the fuck's going on? Now there's a couple guys still like wheeling down to it. I'm looking, he still really had no business winning. And he's got that 72-foot putt. I'm thinking hopefully he three-putts it. Hopefully he can put, or, or two-putts it. Hopefully he can put this close and give himself a chance to get the next one in. And he fucking... 70, put in perspective, 72 feet, it's the longest putt of his life. And think, he's a professional golfer. How many times has this happened? The longest putt. Did he make it in round one on hole three? No. He makes it when all eyes are looking at him. If he makes it, he wins the turn. I don't even, I wasn't even expecting him to fucking, I was in no way expecting that to go in. I was looking at it going, hopefully he puts it like within a couple of feet of the hole would be great. Five feet in, maybe. Give himself a chance. So as far as moments go, a Canadian, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's up there with, it's all subjective, so there'll never be an answer. But to me, it's, it's all the way up there with Crosby's golden goal, for sure. For sure. Um, one of those Olympics, uh, Ben... And Johnson, oh no, he he was the guy who got caught. Who Donovan Bailey? You know the the runner, maybe something like that, an Olympic moment. You know, a Brad Guju from Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, um, making the final shot at the Olympics in two thousand and six. But still, love Brad. I don't think the actual moment, if it had been in Canada, and it came, it was a great shot. But had it been in Canada. And I, I think Guju and those guys were going to win anyway. It wasn't like it was a playoff. He made a great shot to finish it, but it, you know it was over. Um, so I don't know. I'm thinking, and and so hats off to Nick Taylor. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. I know a lot of you listening to this aren't into golf, but it's a moment. It's worth looking at. And I'll tell you the second reason it's look it's worth looking at because his buddy, fellow <laughs> fellow pro golfer Adam Hall, Hadwin. Adam Hadwin. Oh, God. And he was just pumped for him, right? Adam's pumped. He's Canadian as well. There's only so many Canadian pro golfers. So Adam comes out with the champagne, shakes it up. He's spurting it. He's fucking shaking up the champagne. He's spraying it everywhere. And fucking a couple of security come out, and one guy just tackled him like a line, but like it was a linebacker going for the final touchdown of a game. Holy fuck. He leveled him. Now, what I loved about it, just check it out. I can't do it justice. It was 
I'm sorry. I'm looking. I'm looking at the highlight. Oh God. Tactics about. Oh man. Fuck. Ah, uh, but it's good that we can laugh because Adam gets up and for like easily. I mean, if this is a lot of other people in some other places in the world, they're taking this guy to court. The security guard, I mean, he fucking leveled him. A, a guy who's on the door, <laughs> he's happy for his teammate. Check it out. I'm not exaggerating. He fucking hammered him. You, you couldn't pull that off without getting hurt if we were doing stunts in a movie or something. Like, it would be hard to pull that off. And Adam gets up and fucking hugs him and says, sorry, man, my bad. Could have sued him for, could free, didn't want to take his buddy's moment. And he didn't. It's wild. You figured it would be chaos. Well, it was chaos. But anyway, check out the highlight. And um, that's the one thing that I have to add. Not that any of these guys will ever listen to this podcast, but for Adam Hadwin, fucking rights, man. Like, you really didn't take the moment. You got right back up. I'm sure it hurt to a degree and said, I'm fine. Sorry, let's keep this in motion. No need to take some fucking attention away from the biggest moment in Canadian golfing history or at least one of them. Um, yeah, like I said, it's a moment. <laughs> Fucking funny, though. Check it out. Um, listen, I'll be back in a couple of days. Hopefully, Tessa Bonham. Uh, if not, we're going to get Scotty Thornton, Paul Romanuk, um, one of the above. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'm just not sure. I just got back. And it's three and a half hours earlier in Edmonton, right? So it threw me off a little bit. I was ready to go on stage, and it was like time to go to bed. And then, you know, you you party with everybody and I'm getting home, going to bed at 3 out there, which would be like 6.30 here. I normally get up at 6. So those, I don't mind the Moncton weekend because it's like an hour difference, but an hour and a half or a half hour, hour and a half uh, to Eastern time. But uh, Pacific, Vancouver, it's four and a half hours in the same country. We're ahead of them. But anyway, Edmonton, yeah, we're three and a half hours ahead, so... Today I slept until noon. I'm shaking the cobwebs out, but uh, right after this, I'm going to contact all of the above, and I will have a guest for Thursday or Friday. It's going to be one of those people, and uh, expect that the next couple weeks. But uh, yeah, it was an awesome time. Thanks to everybody in Edmonton, and thanks to everybody for tuning in. I'm, I'm getting a lot more traffic online than uh, I used to. And by the way, Thanks for sending the message, especially to the mess. Most messages now are coming into Twitter, and I'll get to them that way. Uh, when they go into my Instagram and Facebook, I kind of get mixed up, and I hate, you know, there's Facebook and Instagram are almost like that's where I keep my like things to do. That's where I keep my friends and family that I talk to every day, my business stuff. I don't mean like business emails, I mean like people I work with on film sets or. Or, uh, you know, these speeches or whatever it might be. I, I often keep that to Instagram or my email. Twitter, I, I you know, shoot me a note there if, if it's something about the podcast. And I can compartmentalize it and organize it a little bit better. But uh, I appreciate it. I'm getting a lot more traffic. And uh, I can tell, I can see the numbers that are steadily improving. And uh, I didn't really know what was going to happen when I started this podcast. I had no goal. I didn't really know. If you told me I could get some sponsors whoopee that would be fucking unreal and now we got some sponsors and then some and i thank the hockey podcast network as much as anyone because um they really uh produce this they do a fine job producing for me check out any one of their other awesome shows including fourth line voice i love his uh 
Southpaw. He's got a great podcast. And uh, Coliseum Chronicles with Joe Lazino. Joe uh, Joe was a guest a couple of weeks back. And uh, if you haven't listened to his podcast yet, check it out. He's a very knowledgeable hockey fan, hockey guy, and a hockey friend. And he has... Uh, if you like this podcast, you'll probably like his. It's very similar. If you're downtown St. John's, folks, this weekend or any weekend, uh, oh, it's fucking Iceberg Alley here this weekend, so it's going to be rocking. Starts tomorrow night, Sugar Ray Soul Asylum, I believe, or tomorrow night. Check that out if you're coming to The Rock or you're in The Rock anytime soon. We have a 10-day concert, three bands a day. That starts tomorrow. It's going to be a blast. If you venture outside of Iceberg Alley Performance Tent, check out the Bull and Barrel. Check out Trinity Pub. Check out TJ's. Greensleeves Pub. Rob Roy Martini. And of course, the Martini Bar. If you're going to go for a bite to eat, why not check out Merchant Tavern, Blue on Water, and Wedgwood Cafe. Folks, downtown St. John's. The weather's starting to change. Took a while. Took a while. We had fog. A lot of rain this year in the spring, but it's changing. And downtown St. John's, it's June. That means pedestrian walk. Vehicular traffic is cut off. We got patios, we got we got kiosks, we got uh, bars, restaurants, all kinds of reasons to be down. So those are my favorite places that I mentioned, but make sure to get out and if you're in town, support local. It's a great time to get out and enjoy downtown St. John's and everything it has to offer. If you want to work out, change your life a little bit, power conditioning on Rope Walk Lane. Strength and balance for the body and mind. I'm living proof. Check it out, power conditioning. Mr. Lube, two locations, Torbay Road and Kemmer Road. Live, laugh, lube. Pitbull Pain Relief, the pain the, the pain sticks that won't quit. Pitbullpainrelief.com. My buddy Merle out in BC, and uh, I love these things. I use them almost every day, as mentioned. True Hockey, take what's yours, folks. I'll be back in just a few days with an amazing guest. Thanks for continuing to support my podcast, and have a great fucking week. This has been episode 156A, 57A. See you all again soon. Catch you on the rebound.